Hi, you are listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. You will be hearing a sermon from Pastor Jared Aron. So without further ado, here he is. Well, in 1961, Diana Spencer was the fourth child born into a British family. She was educated in England and Switzerland. And at the age of 19, she entered the global stage as her engagement to Prince Charles was announced. Her wedding to the Prince of Wales was televised all across this world. And get this, in 1981, over 750 million people watched their wedding. She would be known to us and the world as Princess Diana or Princess Di. With her husband destined to be the future king of England, she carried all the privileges and perks of being royalty. And growing up, I probably knew who Princess Diana was, but I would have never guessed some of the people that she spent time with. Princess Diana didn't like how royalty was considered stuffy and elitist, and she wanted to be in touch with the public. She said in an interview, I would like a monarchy that has more contact with its people. And even 20 years after she tragically died, she is still known today as the people's princess. And really, to me, it's shocking what kind of people this elegant princess spent time with. She was one of the foremost ambassadors for AIDS awareness in her generation. At a time where many people thought, that's bad. Pause for one moment, please. That was my fault. Thank you. Okay, she was... She was one of the foremost ambassadors for AIDS awareness in her generation. At a time where many people thought HIV AIDS could be contracted by touching someone who had the virus, Princess Diana made headline news. Pictures of her in newspapers all around the world of her shaking hands with HIV positive patients without wearing gloves. It was unthinkable at the time. In a similar way, she was a patron of the Leprosy Mission, where she visited hospitals all around the world, spending time with lepers, showing them that they matter, and just being with them. Princess Diana, royalty who went after the rejects. Her majesty who moved towards the marginalized. Princess Diana was quite surprising and who she was willing to spend time with. Does it remind you of anyone? This is not a trick question. Jesus was quite the surprise to many in his day. He had a bunch of curveballs that he threw at people. One curveball is the Jews were expecting their Messiah to be a king who would overthrow the Roman rule. But Jesus wasn't interested in establishing that kind of earthly kingdom. And another curveball is the people that Jesus hung around with. I think this would have shocked us today because we expect people who are spiritual and religious to hang out with a certain type of crowd. 
but it's startling who Jesus was willing to associate with and who Jesus befriended. This morning, I want to invite us again to marvel at Jesus and who he is. And we're going to be in Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 9. It says, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. First, we have to understand that tax collectors in Jesus' day were considered the lowest of the low among the Jewish people. They were traitors because they were Jews who were working for the Romans. So they were hated by their own people because they were partnering with the enemy. And they were profiting quite nicely. For us in Chicagoland, it would be like someone you knew and loved deeply being a Green Bay Packers fan, hypothetically <laughs> speaking. And there's the booze. Bring them. <laughs> so Jesus sees Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. The man who everybody else would see as a tainted traitor, yet Jesus sees a man who has redemption and life change in his future. And Jesus offers a simple invitation, follow me. Matthew gets up. He leaves behind his career as a tax collector and begins the best journey that this life can offer, to be a follower of Jesus. It's always been stunning to me, the people that Jesus went after, fishermen, and tax collectors, and a Samaritan woman who had five former husbands, people who were nobodies or notorious sinners. It's like picking teams at recess, and Jesus keeps choosing the worst players possible. That's what it seems like, but it's not. Jesus is inviting people who are humble and desperate and tired of living life for themselves and who are ready to live life for the reason they were made, to know and to follow Jesus. Verse 10, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. Jesus is having dinner at Matthew's house, doing very normal human stuff, eating a meal with friends. I was wondering this week, what was Jesus' favorite food? When he walked this earth, was he a protein guy? Would he have gone for the fish? Or maybe he couldn't resist the carbs and went for the bread. And then I was thinking, man, someone should come up with a diet, you know, called the Jesus diet or something like that. And alas, I went to Google, and sure enough, (laughs) what would Jesus eat has already been written. So there goes my book idea. So Jesus is having dinner at Matthew's house with his disciples and a whole bunch of tax collectors and sinners join the party. And this is where I personally struggle to understand this. For me personally, food is food. A meal is a meal. But in Jesus' day, table fellowship was extremely important. It wasn't just for the sake of nourishment or to get calories into your body. Coming together for a meal was ceremonial 
in a sense. To share a meal at the table in Jesus' time was a rich and meaningful expression of friendship and intimacy and unity. And since this was such an intimate activity, people usually invited those who were like themselves, those who were from the same social class. So here you have Jesus, a rabbi with a group of disciples who's creating a stir all throughout the land. And here Jesus is spending intimate time connecting with the worst of the worst in society. He's breaking all the boundaries all the rules that many of the religious leaders have established. So verse 11, when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? It's not surprising here that the Pharisees question Jesus. As the religious leaders of the day, they were all about outward cleanliness and purity. Make sure you look good on the outside. It doesn't matter much what's going on on the inside as long as you can present the appearance of goodness and morality. And one of the missions of the Pharisees was trying to renew Israel by moving the center of holiness and purity from the temple into the home life. So they put extra emphasis on the purity of food and also who you are allowed to share a meal with. And everything Jesus is doing is going against what the Pharisees are teaching. To eat with sinners like this would defile and make one unclean. And people started talking about Jesus. The accusations and the labels started to come. This is Jesus speaking a few chapters later in Matthew, and he's speaking about himself and what people are saying about him. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Nicknames. I don't know if you had a nickname growing up or if you still have a nickname today. Sometimes nicknames can be a very positive and loving thing, and sometimes it can be harmful and hurtful. So I'm going to be a little vulnerable here. When I was in high school, I got a nickname in gym class. The guys used to call me White Lightning. So we would play football in gym class, and half the class would have to wear, you know, skins, no shirts on. So you know I'm white, right? We, you know that. Without my shirt on, shirt off, with my shirt off, I am really, really, really white. So that's where the white part came from. And I thought the lightning part was because I was so fast. But as I was reflecting this week, I wasn't really that fast in high school. Uh, So now I'm thinking, you know when there's a bolt of lightning, it's kind of like blinding to someone? I'm thinking they called me white lightning because my whiteness was so blinding without my shirt on. The white boy who blinds us with his whiteness. White lightning. That's in the past. I'm okay. I've moved on. (laughs) But nicknames, Jesus heard the rumors. He heard the nicknames about him. There's that glutton. Here comes that drunkard. There's the guy that thinks he's a rabbi, but he's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Who does he think 
He is. I'm sure Jesus didn't appreciate the nicknames of being a glutton and a drunkard. But I wonder, and I'm guessing, he didn't mind too much the nickname of being a tax collector, of being a friend of tax collector and sinners. For whoever was calling Jesus a friend of sinners, Jesus must have been thinking, you so don't get it. You all are sinners. You might think you are okay, but you all need me. That's why I'm here. Jesus came for sinners. He came for each one of us. What the Pharisees didn't get, hopefully we get it now, is that we're all sinners. We're all in need of the mercy and the grace and the forgiveness that Jesus Christ offers to us. And we need to rejoice and celebrate that Jesus was and is a friend of sinners. To be clear, though, just because Jesus was a friend of sinners doesn't mean he affirmed people's sin. As Jesus invited people to himself, he called them to repent and to turn from their sin. For example, in John 8, a woman is caught in adultery. And the religious leaders are trying to trap Jesus. Because in Old Testament law, someone who's an adulterer needs to be stoned to death. But Jesus stood up for the woman. He protected her from the religious leaders by saying, let any of you who is without sin throw the first stone. And one by one, they left. And then Jesus said to the woman, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Mercy, grace, forgiveness. But then he says this to her. Go now and leave your life of sin. Jesus was a friend of sinners. He met people where they were at, but called them to change, to turn from sin and begin a new life with him. So back to Matthew 9, Jesus overhears what the Pharisees are saying about him. And he has to speak up and say something. So Matthew 9, 12, it says, On hearing this, Jesus said, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I know we have a few doctors in our church, and the expectation of a doctor is that you're going to see people who are sick, who are are, are unhealthy and need help. You can't tell your office administrator, please make sure all my appointments today are healthy patients. I don't want to see anybody who isn't well. What kind of doctor would that be? And Jesus is saying here, my mission is to help people who are spiritually sick. In contrast, the mission of the Pharisees was to create a spiritual quarantine for all the righteous people in their eyes to flock and stay together and separate themselves from all the spiritually unhealthy people. And Jesus is like, I have no interest in creating a quarantine. And this is still a temptation for us today in the church. We can easily be fooled to think the church is a quarantine, a hideout to protect us from those who are spiritually sick. But the church 
has always been commissioned by Jesus to be a healing presence for him to those who are spiritually sick in our world. Verse 13, Jesus continues, says, But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Go and learn. Jesus is telling the Pharisees they need to go back to school. They need to go back to the Old Testament and and learn what mercy is all about. And then Jesus is referencing here from the book of Hosea. Hosea 6, 6. For I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. When God says something that he desires, we've got to pay attention. This is a key part of this passage. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. God is interested in mercy. Not all the outward stuff the Pharisees were after. God wants to see mercy in his people. And mercy is an aspect of love. And that it withholds punishment, even if it is deserved. There's a scene in the story Les Mis that captures mercy in a beautiful way. How many people have seen Les Mis, some form? Oh, you guys got to watch Les Mis. I just saw it a few years ago. You got to watch this movie. The main character, Jean Valjean, has been in prison for 19 years for stealing a loaf of bread. And after being released from prison, he's alone and he's desperate with nowhere to go. And he stumbles upon the doors of a church. And the bishop lets him in and shows tremendous hospitality to Valjean. He feeds him and gives him a bed to sleep in. And how does Valjean repay the bishop for his generous hospitality? In the middle of the night, he steals some of the silver place settings and makes off with them. But Valjean is captured by the police and they bring him back to the church. And the bishop has every reason for Valjean to be punished for the crime he committed. He had opened his heart in the doors of his church to this desperate man. And Valjean has the audacity to steal from him, to steal from the church. He should go back to jail. But instead, the bishop shows incredible mercy. The bishop tells the police officers that he gave those place settings to Valjean as a gift. And that he forgot the most expensive gifts, two silver candlesticks, which he gives to him. Mercy upon mercy. Instead of off to prison, Valjean is free. And he has a breakthrough moment of transformation due to this act of great mercy upon his life. Punishment deserved, but overlooked. Mercy and love given. Mercy is such a sweet part of God's covenantal love to us. That God has overlooked our offenses in order to forge a relationship with people who absolutely do not deserve to be in relationship with him. Mercy 
is foundational in God's relationship with us. We couldn't be in a relationship with Jesus without his mercy. And Jesus was showing tremendous mercy and being a friend of sinners, hanging out with the spiritually sick, opening the doors of welcome to his kingdom, to the most rejected and marginalized. Jesus was a man of mercy and a friend of sinners. And the Pharisees didn't get this. They only saw the outside and they missed God's heart for mercy. And I think the question before us this morning is, are we going to follow in the footsteps of the Pharisees and create spiritual quarantines? Are we going to follow Jesus in the way of mercy? And we've been talking throughout this series, to be a follower of Jesus is to grow to become more like Jesus. It sounds crazy. It sounds impossible. That's Jesus' mission for us, to make us more like himself. So I want to share a couple next steps. How do we grow in mercy? How do we grow as a friend of sinners? I saw a video online a couple weeks ago, and it was a boy who's been colorblind his whole life, and he's probably like 10 years old. And someone was able to make these special glasses that would allow him to see in color. And the boy puts on these glasses, and it's, it's incredibly moving. He's experiencing everything in his life for the very first time in color. And the boy is overwhelmed. He's in tears as he's learning different objects and the colors that match them. And it made me think, for those of us who have been following Jesus for a long time, have we forgotten about God's mercy to us? Are we living life blind to the great mercy of God to us? I think for many of us, we need mercy glasses asking God to open our eyes to see how amazing God has been in his mercy to you and I. How in Christ, ultimate judgment and punishment has been withheld. And instead, mercy and love are ours through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I love Ephesians 2, verse 3. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. And we all deserve God's wrath and punishment and judgment upon our sins. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Have you forgotten how rich the mercy of God has been in your life? We were dead in our sins and now made alive through Jesus. That is the sweetness of God's mercy to us. And I think the more we embrace this and know this, then we realize that we're called to go into this world to show mercy, to show mercy. This is an area of my life that I really believe God has been calling me to stretch and grow in recently. At the beginning of the year, I encouraged us to ask God for a word or a phrase that would guide us spiritually throughout the year. You guys remember that? Do you remember the word that you came up with or God led you to? My word at the beginning of the year was mornings, as in early morning, and just trying to start my day well with God in the early morning. And that's still been a good word 
for me. But as the year progressed, a new phrase emerged in my life. I was listening to a podcast when the, the word first hit me, and then a song where this phrase was repeated. Uh, and just I felt like God was saying, pay attention. I'm trying to say something to you here. It's this phrase from James 2.13, mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. I think you referenced that in a sermon a couple months ago too. So that was another affirmation. And I believe this is an area of my life that God is inviting me to become more like Jesus. It's how I learn to respond to people in different situations. It's so easy to judge. It doesn't take a lot to criticize someone else, even if it's just in our minds. But mercy calls us to withhold judgment in order to demonstrate the love of Christ to another person. As God has shown us his great mercy, he wants us to show mercy to others in this world. When the temptation is to bring judgment or criticism or be self-righteous, God is inviting us to learn mercy from him. I was thinking this week, what does mercy look like in the real world? I mean, how does this really get lived out practically in small ways and bigger ways? And a few things came to mind. When someone cuts you off in traffic, there's not much you can do about it. It happened. I think the best thing you can do is learn to just let it be. Instead of reacting or retaliating, ask God to teach you mercy in that moment. When a waiter gets your order wrong, maybe you can let it go and show mercy. Or if you send it back, the way you talk to that person demonstrates mercy rather than judgment. Mercy sees the person, not just the offense. In a relationship where the person keeps repeating the same mistake over and over and over again, Ask God to give you the patience to seek understanding. What's going on here? Instead of being quick to judge or lash out. For mercy to triumph judgment, it means we learn to pray instead of criticize. I don't know about you, but there's a lot of people in this world that make me mad. Amen? (laughs) Those people that make you mad, learn to pray for them. And pray that God would reveal his mercy to them. To learn mercy means to proactively choose to forgive someone, even if they haven't asked for it. And that's not easy. If you've been wounded or offended by someone, the easy thing to do is to hold on to judgment, hold on to bitterness, and the opportunity to retaliate and take revenge. But we have to remember God's mercy to us first. Because of his mercy and strength, you can find strength to forgive and show mercy to others. God wants to teach us mercy. He wants us to show mercy. There's a story of an old man walking the beach one early morning. He's bending down to pick up starfish. He throws them back into the ocean And a young boy comes by and asks, old man, what are you doing? And the old man says, these starfish will die of dehydration when the sun comes up. 
I'm throwing them back into the ocean to save their lives. The young man sarcastically chimes back, the beach goes on for miles. There are millions of starfish. What does it matter what you will do? The old man looked at the starfish in his hand and he flipped it back into the ocean. And he just simply said, it matters to this one. Mercy matters. To every person that God will use you to show his mercy to, it will matter to that person. For those of us who experience the sweet mercy of Christ, may we learn that God desires mercy, that mercy triumphs over judgment. The second and last thing I want to say this morning is we grow to demonstrate Christ's mercy. Part of that will involve learning to be a friend of sinners like Jesus. Again, Jesus wasn't interested in creating a spiritual quarantine among his followers. Jesus was a magnet to people who were lost and broken and hurting. People were drawn to Jesus because of his unbelievable love and mercy. And Jesus saw past the outward, all the exterior stuff, and he gave people hope of a new life and a new future with him. And I really believe for us, if we follow Jesus in the way of mercy, people are going to be drawn and attracted to Jesus Christ living and reigning in us. One of the most important things I learned early on in my Christian life is that we can't expect someone who's not a follower of Jesus to behave like a follower of Jesus. If people do not know Jesus, and they're living for themselves and all that that involves. Jesus met people where they're at. And to be a friend of sinners, it means we love and befriend people where they're at. It doesn't mean we practice the same lifestyle or engage in activities that are harmful or sinful, but we see them as a person who needs Jesus first and foremost. And only through Jesus will they be transformed and changed. I want to ask us this morning, could anybody accuse you of being a friend of sinners? As a pastor, this is very hard for me because I spend time with all of you in the church bubble. So I ask this question to myself. Can anybody accuse me of being a friend of sinners? Where have you drawn the boundary line in your friendships? Do you hang out with people just like yourself? Or are you willing to associate and befriend people who are different than you? This isn't about just being nice or trying to be a good person. This is about cultivating the heart of Christ for people and believing that all people are worthwhile and all people are valuable to God. If you're a follower of Jesus, Jesus wants to make you more like himself. You are not alone on this journey. Jesus wants to empower you and strengthen you. He wants to make you a person of mercy. And he wants to make you a friend of sinners. I want to do a couple things different this morning to invite us to respond to the word. First, I want us to listen to a song by Casting Crowns called Jesus, Friend of Sinners. Very fitting 
and appropriate to the message this morning. And this song is about five minutes long, so we're going to give you some time to just pray and reflect. And as you listen to the song and read the lyrics on the screen, I want you to think about Jesus. I want, to think, I want you to think about who he was and how he loved, how he showed mercy, how he cared for sinners. And I want to invite you to talk to God about your own life and where you're at. How can you learn and show mercy? How can you grow to be a friend of sinners? I just want to invite you just to be open to the Holy Spirit right now, what he might be saying to you. So we're going to play the song now, and then I'm going to come back and lead us through another response. So use this time to just reflect and pray and talk to God. I want to invite you just to stay in just a prayerful posture. The question to us was, will we be a friend of sinners like Jesus? And let's just start with one person in your life. One person who God is asking you to be a friend like Jesus was to Matthew. I just want to ask you to take a moment and ask God right now to put one person on your heart who doesn't know Jesus. For this person, you would ask that God would teach you to show mercy. To love this person where they're at. And to pray this person would come to know the real friend of sinners, our Master Jesus Christ. And imagine with me in the next few months, you watch as God opens doors for opportunities to love and serve and represent Jesus to this person. And you pray that God would open up this person's heart to know the God who made them, the Savior who loves them and wants a relationship with them. And think about it. Think about the dream that they would one day rise up like Matthew did from the tax collector's booth. They'd rise up out of a life of sin and not knowing Jesus. And they would stand up and they would follow Jesus Christ. One person being a friend of sinners, showing mercy, praying that they would come to know and love Jesus like we do. As I look back on my life, some of the best moments and memories have been being a friend to sinners. Someone who the world would consider tainted and a nobody. And watching God work his mercy in their life. I want to invite you now, just spend a few moments praying for this person, praying for your friendship with them, and praying that God would show his mercy to them. God, the song is true that we all were outcasts. We all were marginalized and rejected and without hope until we met Jesus. 
thank you for the great mercy that you've shown those of us who know you and follow you. May we not underestimate the sweetness of your mercy to us. And God, help us to see this world through eyes of mercy. God, that you want to use us to share Jesus with people in this world who do not know you. And for these individuals, God, that you've brought to our minds and our hearts, we pray for them, God. Pray your blessing and your favor over these people. We pray that you would open up their eyes to their need for you. If their life is going well and everything is comfortable, just show them that there's so much more. And help them to start questioning why they're on this planet. And through our friendship with them, may we show them the radical love of Jesus. May we meet them where they're at. And step by step, as we pray for them, as we show compassion and mercy, God, would you open up their hearts to you? Because you love them. You want them back. You want them to know you. So God, we pray for our friends. We pray these people will come into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. And we trust you, God, that you are faithful, that you are good, that your love endures forever. We pray this in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.